Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. My name's Tim Doyle, and this is Project Sports. Enjoy the show. What's going on, projectors? Welcome back to the show. Today we have a special guest. His name is Brian, and he's coming back for a second time to talk about F1 racing. Um, we're going to make you wait a little bit till the end of the podcast uh, for that segment. And Brian, what's going on? Welcome back to the show. Tim, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it was a great time last time. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, let's do this. And yeah, I wanted to recap real quick about the uh, top 10 all-time QB episode that we did. It, uh, it, yeah. did it did pretty well comparative to the the amount of plays and hits it got from the other episodes around it in the last month that actually it, it was my best my best podcast in the last like month or two so it was a big hit people liked our takes we got a lot of good feedback on it within our our group message and other people hitting me up about it and having disagreements so that was pretty that was pretty cool well i'm glad i got a second invite then yeah That's, absolutely uh... I'll take it. Yeah, and then we talked after the podcast, and we stumbled upon F1 Racing because we were talking about soccer, yes. and you said, I found another love. I found another sport that I'm into. So I, I said, hey, next time you come on, we got to talk about this. So Yes. Here we yeah, are. and here we are. Here we are. But first, we're going to start off with some uh, Patriots training camp, maybe some takeaways that we have, things that we've seen. There's been some fights in the past couple of days. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Mac Jones, the secondary, Malcolm Butler on the IR? Uh, a little parting gift with a little paycheck. He didn't play last season, so yeah. So we're gonna go over some of these things. Uh, maybe what's what's your uh, biggest takeaway from the Patriots training camp so far? Just things that you've heard, seen, or excited about. Could be anything. Give me something. Um, you know, I there's not a whole lot to get excited about, and I don't. I mean, for for your average Patriots training camp, I'll say, like last year. I think we had a lot of hype because it was something new. It was something different. We get this rookie quarterback. We get this competition with Cam Newton. We get some unknown. I think it was a relative surprise when, you know, Bill Belichick announced Cam Newton's gone. Mac Jones is the starter. So relative to last year, not too much spiciness going on. Um, And I think the Patriots are generally one of those teams anyway, where it's very even keeled. Um, reports the other day about some fights in, in camp I think were probably blown a little bit out of proportion just because you never get that much crazy action out of the Patriots training camp um, I think you know you, you alluded to it a little bit in your intro there but it's I mean Christian Barmore I think came out and said like it's all love it's all good like it's just guys playing football getting intense and that's kind of what you want to see anyway is guys getting really hyped and intense for the season um I think probably the biggest thing that I would comment on about training camp so far that I've seen is um what's going on at the running back position Hmm. um some some hype around Ramondre Stevenson James White retired um you know good good on you James White enjoy your retirement he's a Patriots legend um, I, I think um, if if there's going to be any sparks or fireworks happening between now and the rest of training camp, um, I think it could be around that position because they are a little bit deep there. Maybe maybe Damian Harris ends up somewhere else. That's kind of a a hot take. Um, but yeah, I they're just so like 
you know, Bill Belichick downplays the media all the time and he, he kind of takes the brunt of it. And so you never really hear these like spicy stories come out of Patriots training camp. So um, I think um, I, I, it's kind of tough to know what to expect. But I'm the one thing I'm really paying attention to is that running back um, fight. And I'm, I'm looking for anything I can on what's going to happen at that running back position. What about you? Yeah, definitely a very interesting part of the the offense that we're kind of waiting and it does lean towards Ramonde Stevenson to take that role and then we're kind of looking like who's going to take over that that uh, third down role it might be Ty Montgomery which is someone that I picked mm-hmm. up in, in fantasy as well um, Pierre Strong seemed like a person that possibly could but it doesn't look like it at towards the end of camp here and I think Ty the veteran is probably going to be the third down back at this point and like you yep. said the Damian Harris it's going to be interesting to see going forward if he stays if he gets traded um, uh, that 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 kind of stuff but yeah the, the fights um, between the Carolina Panthers you know practice like you just like you said uh, the Christian Barmore is telling it just like it is it gets intense I know a lot of the Boston media wants to blow it up and especially Matt Reese losing con- I think it was a tweet he he put out saying this is the since Bill Pelichek has been a part of the Patriots organization, he's never seen anything take place at camp like this, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, ah, oh, man, like, I know that was it Wilkerson or one of the wide receivers threw a punch, got thrown out of practice. But, you know, at the same time, the next day they, they go at it again. So if Belichick really thought it was a problem, he wouldn't be continuing to practice against the exactly. Carolina Panthers. So it yeah. couldn't have been that big of an and, issue. And I think if there was a, a serious issue, you would see – one player in particular being singled out and kind of punished versus like you know the the one that i kind of read the most into was christian barmore and david andrews apparently going at it and getting kicked out of practice but they both came or at least christian barmore came right out and said like it's all love i love david andrews we're just having a great you know great battle out there and it gets a little heated sometimes you see it every year where there's some sort of fight in training camp it gets all blown up by the media and I think this in particular is one of those cases where there's probably nothing to read into, because if there was something to read into, I think you would see it in the team's actions um, in terms of, you know, someone practicing with the second team the next day, like like Antonio Gibson's been practicing with the second teamers uh, a little bit to kind of put him in his place. Um but I, I think it's probably uh, – I don't think there's anything serious to worry about. It's always been a well-coached team. Every, every team is going to have a little bit of fire and a little bit of heat in the, in the you know, training camp because everyone's ready and anxious to get back at it and prove what they get to offer. But uh, maybe, maybe we'll learn a little bit more in, in another uh, you know, week or so here. There's another round of cuts coming they had to cut down to uh 80 players i think another i think it's a week from today um so maybe that will be kind of a if there's a, a running back that drops or something in that time frame that will provide some clues i think to us as as fans and fantasy players but um it's definitely going to be interesting that's for sure yeah absolutely i think that's definitely something we need to take a look at especially with the coaching too i know a lot of Again, the Boston media playing up um, Matt Patricia and the whole Joe Judge situation. Who's going to be running and controlling the offense? We're going to learn a lot more as we see these preseason games, how things function. Everyone wants to complain about Mac Jones. He's not 
he's having bad camp, he's having this, he's having that. I mean, I'm not comparing him to Brady, but I'm only comparing the other quarterbacks I've seen in camp, which has been Tom Brady in the Patriots camp. And, you know, similar things have happened. Either way, it's been Jimmy Garoppolo, too. That people have had bad camps, bad bad days, yeah. bad weeks, and everyone proceeds as normal season starts and really has, I want to say has no effect because obviously your offseason is a big deal. But oh, when, yeah. it com- when it comes to camp, I mean, Belichick's trying to make Mac Jones' life pretty much hell and trying to put him under stress and pressure. So then when the real thing comes, you'll be able to handle it, and it won't be as daunting, and, and that's, you know, that's a really good training exercise and technique to, to do to players. So when the actual the real deal comes, you're not always going to be in those stressful situations to figure things out. And this is year two for Mac Jones, so this is a big deal. This is a big um, a moment in his career where he really needs to step up and step forward, and we need to see some things that are different from last year. Even though he had a great rookie season, we still need to see improvements in certain areas. And then I think a trust level will also come into play here with Belichick opening the offense more to him and, and allow him to push the ball down the field um, in all aspects of the season instead of just in certain certain spots of the year he was only allowing him to do certain things with the offense. I think we're going to see a bigger, much more improved Patriots offense, obviously with the addition of some of these wide receivers. But um, I did have a question about um, the secondary and what is it, um, Jalen Mills kind of turning into that role as the star corner and then Malcolm Mm -hmm. Butler not really playing too well. He was injured last year. And, you know, this defense in the secondary, is is Jalen Mills enough? To, to build a great defense around in that secondary portion of it, and should we look forward to the season on the defensive side of the ball, or are, are we a little nervous here? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, obviously, Malcolm Butler on season-ending IR now. Um, that is, I think, something that I would say most Patriots fans would have been uh, at least – uh, encouraged by is him coming back because he knows the system he knows the coaches we know him um you know he's a guy you can plug in as a starter and you know what you're going to get out of him but now he's gone um you know Jalen Mills he's a name that some people will know but um some people will know him for bad reasons but uh I I think I think one thing that I've learned from watching the Patriots over the last 20 years or so is when the Patriots really go out and get someone and they, they're confident in who they have in place, there's something we're not seeing. Um, I, I would have to believe that it, if you don't see a move made from the Patriots to sign a cornerback in the next couple of weeks, they're very happy and they're, they're going to speak with their actions. So keep an eye on, you know, if the Patriots add cornerbacks from other teams, guys, off, you know, th- that are maybe kind of second tier guys that you would perceive as as uh, as second stringers, so to speak. If the Patriots make any additions, they're not happy. But if they stick with the guys they've got, there's I would bet probably a a a shining diamond in the rough somewhere here you know you look at what other players have been able to do since they came into this patriots team obviously stefan gilmore was very successful in buffalo he was a pro bowl caliber player but he came in and became a defensive player of the year caliber player jc jackson was like a no name and now all of a sudden he's you know a pro bowl all pro caliber player that gets a big deal out in in los angeles so the Patriots have always bred talent. 
Um, and I think the the biggest thing is going to be watching in the next couple of weeks to see whether or not they make a move, see whether or not they're happy with the depth that they have after losing Malcolm Butler. Yes, absolutely. And and I tend to agree with uh, your assessment, too, as the Patriots normally do is move on early than uh, yes. a year too late. So with J.C. Jackson leaving and, you know, having Mills, if he thinks Mills is up for the challenge, and not only that, just having the core of the cornerbacks, I, I completely agree. It was, it was a great assessment of how he kind of operates. If he's unhappy, you're going to see someone float in here to build some more competition and and run that through. Um, yeah, so so that's good on this. I think that's uh, Patriots training camp. The, you know, we'll see the game against the Carolina Panthers coming up here. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of Mac Jones. But for me, do you have any closing thoughts on, on the Patriots training camp or things you're looking forward to? Yeah, I know. I, I definitely also heard that you know, some people said Mac Jones wasn't having his best uh, showing in camp. And the initial reports coming in were, you know, he's processing things quicker or he's he's had that kind of revelation. I also have to kind of agree with what you said that I, I expect as a fan and based on what we saw last year that Mac Jones will take a step forward. I expect that the Patriots will let him have a little bit more freedom. Um, if if not for any other reason than just we're going to let you prove whether or not you've got the stuff. Um, so I expect better. Um, but, yeah, it's still early. I don't judge too much based on training camp. Um, it's Training camp for me, I'm always looking for a drum beat. So, um, you know, one big loud gong that goes off like, oh, this guy made some incredible play. Oh, that's great. But if I hear that guy made an incredible play four days in a row from four different people, well, that's a drumbeat. I'm paying attention. So, um, you know, um, if I if I hear from three or four different writers that Mac Jones is struggling in camp, I'm going to be nervous. But, you know, one one odd report here or there, he's not having his best camp or whatever. I'm going to wait until the, the real action, the 11-on-11 11 11 for, for wins and losses is going on in September and October before I make any harsh judgments. Yeah, and I feel like I'm on the same level there as well. And then, you know, again, um, we're there is a level. Our, okay, let me ask this question. Is there any level of uncertainty by the way that they're running the organization as far as you've got Bill Belichick seeming to be the more involved in the offense. You have Joe Judge coming over from an absolute dumpster fire with the New York Giants, and then you're also having Matt Patricia also work with the offense, and he's formerly a defensive uh, coordinator and you know <laughs> a, a head coach as well. But are you in the camp of I'm, Bill knows what he's doing. He's going to get these guys prepared and ready to go. He trusts them and knows their abilities. Or should we be extremely nervous about them and their coaching positions? Uh, more of the first one. Um, I, I learned a long time ago as a Patriots fan that Bill Belichick is just going to do some things that are going to make you scratch your head. And at the end of the day, yeah, sure, it may not be a Super Bowl caliber team, but the guy's a lot smarter than most people in the NFL. And, you know, I, I believe he's got some smart football minds around him and they know what they're capable of. So um, I think at the end of the day, what he does better than almost anyone is he puts people in uh, good positions where they can excel and succeed, players and coaches included. 
So we've had some some examples in the past of you know some ambiguity on the uh, maybe defensive coordinator side of things and even the offensive coordinator side of things before I think McDaniel's really became kind of the de facto like bona fide offensive coordinator. It was a little bit of ambiguity there for a bit uh, years back, and yeah, I've just kind of I've seen enough at this point in my Patriots fandom that I'm I'm just gonna trust him because. He's obviously got a great mind for the game, and he's, I mean, no one would question the intelligence of these guys he's got around him. So um, if he thinks he knows more than us, then I'm, I'm going to tend to agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've put uh, you to the test here with your, uh, your Patriots card, and you've passed with flying colors. <laughs> you've, you've done well. You've done well. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, so these are the things that are coming out of camp. So I figure I'd ask and say, hey, what's going on with this? So. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you take one game at a time. Just like we have the Miami Dolphins coming up in the first game of the season. You start there. You, you prepare for them, and this is what this is all about. They have a high-powered offense, but they've also not really proven themselves. So we also have a dog in the fight, too. Yeah. And our, our quarterback performed better last year. So we'll see how you this can, goes. You can definitely paint a picture where things are not shaping up well. Uh, but mm-hmm. I've, just, I've just been in this situation before as a fan so many times where you could paint that picture that things weren't shaping up well, and I've been proven wrong before. So I, yep. I'm still, I still have that ingrained in my memory that I'm just going to go into this with an open mind and see what they can do because, quite honestly, they outperformed my expectations last year. Um, some people aren't as impressed with Mac Jones as I was, but to be honest, to, to make the playoffs last year – cutting cam newton and going with a rookie quarterback that was not the top pick in the class like he was he was a guy that a lot of people thought was you know had a lot of pedigree obviously but to even make the playoffs last year that's a success so like i'm just gonna i'm gonna ride with it i'm gonna see what happens i'm gonna hopefully fingers crossed enjoy the ride but uh yeah no that's uh i'm excited the nfl season's here man this is yeah, great this is good this is this is awesome we're, we're weeks away from the opening of the nfl season and definitely going to be circling back to this on the podcast quite frequently throughout the year all right we got to move on to a uh, topic i you know i don't want to spend a lot of time on but i guess we will because it's boston it's sports and if it's something that happens we're going to have to deal with it. So it's Kevin Durant, the rumors, they're, mm. they're becoming exhausting to me personally. I can't speak for anyone else, but it seems like every day there's a different thing. So one night, uh, he, uh, so a leak came out that he was going to retire. The next morning, he sends out a tweet saying, you should come to me for information, which is a classic Kevin Durant thing to say on Twitter. And he's not retiring. Um, yeah, we'll start there. And also Tatum has been, you know, playing ball and working out with KD in the offseason. I don't know. And where does the Celtics allegiance lie? Because I'm, I'm, I'm following the IG account pretty closely and the Facebook account. And, you know, they're pretty much pumping up Jalen Brown. So I personally, this is my personal thoughts here, is that the deal is definitely dead. And Jalen, maybe it was some sort of motivation thing. And they brought Jalen in and that's, you know, the rest is history and he's going to get a contract. I, I, that's how I'm leaning because no one really knows what's going on. I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on this and if you're sick and tired of this just as much as I am. But Yeah, you. the word the word you used, I think, was exhausting. And I think at this point, I would have to agree. I, I get the impression that certain media circles or whatever are just pumping this up because Kevin Durant is such a big name and Boston 
Boston's such a you know hot team at the moment. I I kind of think it's dead too. Um, and what I really go back to here is when it was announced that Brad Stevens would be moving into more of a managerial role and stepping out of the coaching position, going into the front office, the one thing that I felt really confident in was Brad Stevens is going to be uh, a good successor to Danny Ainge in the personnel department. I think he had a really good beat on the personnel that were on the team and kind of how they mesh together and how they come together to make a good basketball team. And I think that my gut as a Celtics fan and from other people I've talked to that really care about the Celtics and are really passionate about some of these young players that they have is it would be a mistake to break up this Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, young kind of awesome, dynamic, passionate core. And so I, I have to believe that Brad Stevens probably sees that too. And I, I just, from the start, I couldn't imagine them dealing Jalen Brown unless it was, you know, because the, the rumored deal was what, Jalen Brown and a bunch of other stuff. Like, I mean, no. I, I get it, but like, it's I know, it's Kevin Durant, you have to consider it. And the NBA is one of those leagues where above almost any other league out there, it's so important to put together a core of stars, but I think they already have that, and I don't understand why you would bet the farm. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's I think it's dead, too. It is exhausting. Um, Tatum balling up with KD in the offseason, like, those guys are going to get together. They're going to play. They they always want to go against the best, and you know, maybe maybe Kevin Durant and Tatum have some some mutual respect for each other, and they became friends or something at some night out, and they just want to play together in the offseason because they're friends. So like, yeah, I don't know. Quite quite frequently happens around the NBA all the time. Oh so. yeah, but you know how it is when they run with these stories. So it's things to go over and bring up. So it's like, it, it that that's my take on it too. They meet up NBA stars all the time, and they they play ball. They you know, train with each other. I mean, Adam like Sandler plays with NBA stars yeah, know, in the right? offseason. Is Adam Sandler going to join the Lakers next year? That's a great like, point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know I get I love it. Like they have to, they have to talk about it. You know what I love about this though, is Kevin Durant squirming in Brooklyn and just not being rescued by anyone. No one's going to trade for him because of how much it will take. And the rest of your team will be demolished. And I, I love every second of it as a Boston fan. And the more that this is, I feel that it's not going to happen, the happier I am. Whereas I don't even have to be tempted by it because it's like, hey, you know, Jalen and Jason are, like you said, they're a core, they're talented, you already have the stars, keep them and use the length of time that you have with them. You've already made an NBA Finals, keep trying to run it back, get better and better every year, go find yourself, especially you, Jason Tatum. If, if anything, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, contract situations and, like, team makeup that well in the NBA, so I might just be, you know, talking out of my ass right now. But, um, I like, I, I look at LeBron signing a new deal today, a two-year deal, big deal, mm-hmm. um, almost $100 million for two years. Um, and I think about that, and I think about there's probably some other team out there right now that's saying – we need to make this kind of impact signing for a couple of years. The the kind of teams that KD has been linked to, I think he's been linked to Miami a little bit. Um, I could see like a team that's almost there, that's like ready to set themselves over the top, making a short-term deal for KD. 
Um, Miami, I guess, comes to mind because they had such a strong squad last year. But I just don't. I don't know their roster makeups. Like I don't even know if that's realistic. Yeah. But I could see like a short-term big money deal for KD. Like come come win a championship somewhere and just be like that journeyman for the last few years. Well, I'll um, tell he, you, there's there's very few teams that could a afford him. Yeah. And then if they could, they would be. Brooklyn has set the bar to what they want back in return, which would in turn decimate the team with outside of having the one other star, which is the exact same situation he's in with Kyrie. Yeah. It's, it's him and Kyrie with no one, and then he'd be going to another place with him and someone else and no one else on the bench. Like, you're playing with scrubs because you just gave all your talent to the, the Brooklyn Nets. So it's yeah. like a that's why another reason why I think that the deal is dead. So as far as the roster makeups of like literally of the Heat, of the Suns, of the Celtics, all of them, all the ones that would actually be in the running, and including Golden State when they, Golden State were like, yeah, we'll take them, and then they said, oh well, this is what we need to offer, and they're like, no way, we're gonna keep our young stars uh, that just you know won a championship with the older stars, in Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. It's like, yeah, we're not gonna give up those guys. Yeah, good luck. So it doesn't seem like any team would even budge on making that deal to sacrifice the franchise of like all the hard work we've put in with building the Celtics. I don't think any other team is going to do the same thing. So I feel like that the Brooklyn is doing, I think Brooklyn is the one who wins in all this because they're just strong arming him and being like, yeah, good luck. You're going to be playing for us unless you're going to get hurt and you know, whatever. So, yep. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And then maybe if it comes in like a January timeframe when, you know, the, the all-star break comes and that he gets traded during uh to during, a contender that needs season. to put yeah. themselves over the top yeah yeah maybe the price comes down during that time and yeah a team would actually be tempted to do it to go over and to see if they could actually keep going so we'll see it's possible it yeah. is all right brian i think we're ready i think we are ready to go into the f1 racing talk yes and and learning because i have engaged in F1 racing as far as the documentaries and the st- there's a TV show um, I've been watching, trying to engage with it. And I'll tell you right off the bat, because me and Brian have not talked about this at all. Um, I just gave him a list of questions that I could be asking, but he doesn't really know my take on it because we were, we were previously speaking about this the first time. And I was like, you know what, I'll take, I'll take a look at it. And so the first thing right off the bat when I watch the TV show is... It, it, I always, when I'm watching a sport, I want a few different things. I want teamwork, I want passion, I want history, and a purpose. And I will tell you, man, I found that, like, even off the TV show, I was like, whoa, like, that was pretty quick, like, how engaged they got you. And Oh, yeah. I was like, man, like, this is really, like, intense. And, um, and there's a certain level of uncertainty and death and just all around craziness of the whole F1 racing um, world. And I'm very impressed and I'm, I'm excited. And I was honestly, I'm like, man, when am I going to be able to watch my first race? How do I start doing this? How do I start yeah. doing that? So this, yeah. is, this is what this podcast is all about. This is for Brian to explain some things that I don't know because this is F1 racing for dummies for me and uh, anyone else who gets interested in this too. And I will tell you, I am very impressed. And as Americans, it's not really too big in America, but it, it could be. And it's coming around maybe. And Europe, it's it's on fire. And I've been to Monaco and I've seen the racetrack. And uh. I'm looking forward to getting more engaged in this. But here we go. 
Um, uh, you don't know how jealous I am when you said <laughs> I've been to Monaco and I've seen the racetrack. I, I'll tell you, to be, I intense is a good word. And when I first got into it, it was COVID. It was, you know, everyone was watching every show uh, and, and whatever was next on Netflix. And like you said, the documentary, it's called Drive to Survive. Um, it is a, dra- a little bit dramatized, but it's a documentary on Formula One and the season. And each season of Drive to Survive covers a season. And that's how I got into it. Um, it was, you know, uh, basically they take you through kind of the main points of the season. They take you through the idea. Um, so uh, the F1 calendar starts in February at some point. Um, with preseason testing. So um, they have a couple of uh, sessions of testing in like February, March, where um, the, the idea behind Formula One is it is a racing contest, a year-long racing contest, where every team has to follow a certain set of rules. So not too dissimilar from, you know, a a sport like basketball or football where there's a set of rules you have to play by when you play the game. Formula One has rules for how you can build your car. So Formula One says the rear wing can only be, you know, so wide or so tall or so long or made of certain materials. And your engine can only have certain number of liters of fuel intake and um, and and can ha- has to be turbocharged or blah 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 blah. And there's this whole set of rules which make up the formula. So Formula One, being the top tier of that formula style of racing, um, currently comprised of ten teams, but the regulations allow for more. So there's currently a couple of teams kind of applying to to stick their neck in the door. There have been more than ten teams on the grid in the past. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the Netflix show really got me into it. That really kind of um, piqued my interest. Um, and I, I say it's a little bit dramatized because um, I'll tell you a lot of the really hardcore fans, people that have been watching for years and years, Formula One's been around since I think the 50s. Um, they the hardcore fans will tell you that and i will totally agree there were there are some clips in the show where they may take a bit of audio and a bit of race and piece them together and it's not entirely like it's not like exactly what was said at that moment it is dramatized there is a couple occasions where they there's people that have exceptions with like they make someone sound a little more upset than they are or they make someone seem you know, a little bit more kind of uh, they they put more emotion into cer- certain people that certain people don't agree with, which I get. You know, it's um, there's definitely certain drivers and and certain fans on, that are that are not happy with it. But I for what it for what it was trying to accomplish to get people like me and you into the sport and interested in it, it definitely does its job. Um, the cool thing about it is it covers like one season at a time, so it's not like you know spoilers you know you don't have to watch the first season if you want to try to get into it you can just watch the most recent season of drive to survive and then try to pick up the races that are going on now um and it's you know it's all history it all happened already so it's not like you have to understand the plot that happened in season one but um it's really cool it's um 
it's it's a long season it starts in february and it ends usually in like november or december even uh they usually do about 20 races sometimes a little more so they're up to about 22 races on the calendar uh, and they spread them out a little bit so there'll be a couple weeks off here and there um, you may get weeks where you have a couple in a row um, so is and, this just a statistical ranking by how you finish, or is this a point system? How does this work? Yeah, so the competition is, um, there's two main competitions. There's the Drivers' Championship, and there's the Constructors' Championship. So um, there are uh, constructors or teams. So currently there's 10 teams on the grid. Uh, they you know, each have two drivers, so every team puts two cars out each week. So for, at the moment, a total of 20 drivers. And then depending on how you finish, you score points. So at the end of the year, whatever driver has the most points becomes a driver's champion. And whatever team across both drivers has the most points becomes the constructor's champion. So um, at the moment, um, they're about halfway through the year. They take like a, like a month-long break around this time of year every year. Um, currently the the top team is red bull racing um and then mercedes and ferrari are pretty close behind but um yeah they they score points every week so the top 10 places score points so you get like 25 points if you come in first like 18 if you come in second and then it keeps going down from there there's a bonus point in there for like the fastest lap throughout the race Um, okay so like scoring consistently is important so if you're a top team you're going to expect to have at least one driver scoring podiums every week uh if not more and then beyond that the kind of like second tier of teams that like they're not going to win the championship but they're going to be maybe top three or four at the end of the year you expect to have a guy placing on the podium once in a while but you expect to have probably both drivers scoring points every week even if maybe one of them's in like eighth or ninth and the other's like fourth or fifth that's kind of the expectation for kind of some of those like second tier teams and then there's a whole host of teams that are probably just happy to have a driver scoring some solid points every week um at this point in the year i think i think we might actually have every constructor has scored points um yes which is quite rare um sometimes you get to halfway through the year and there's still a team that hasn't scored any points uh so i would say this year has been very competitive um there's been a lot of efforts made in the last couple of years to continue to level things out with that formula um you know there was a couple of years maybe 2018 2019 around there where the the, the series was completely dominated by Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, who is one of, well, he is he is the GOAT in my opinion, but a lot of people will at least put him top two. Um, He's a driver? Yeah, Lewis Hamilton. He's an um, English driver who's still racing. He still races for uh, Mercedes. He's got seven world titles, um, which is, I think... Ooh, um, I'm a bad fan here. It's it's one. I think it's the same number as Michael Schumacher, um, who's yes. who's the other guy who uh, everybody kind of associates with the greatest of all time. It's like it's like Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton. Pretty much everyone is in agreement Montana, on that. Montana, yeah, Brady. Montana, yeah. Brady, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So it, for a couple of years there, Mercedes was dominant. They won, I think, five or six constructors championships in a row, and Lewis Hamilton won like five of those. Um, so it was very, very lopsided. It was Mercedes all the time. A couple of years ago, when I first started watching, it was like it. It I would say it almost wasn't even interesting to watch some of the races because you just almost knew before the race started that Lewis was going to win. Yeah. Um, but they've introduced a few new regulations. It, it goes in, it, the nice thing is it goes in ebbs and flows. Um, back in like the early 2010s, um, there was a period of time where Red Bull won four in a row and the formula changes. So like the engines will change over time. So now they, they drive um, six-cylinder turbo hybrids that, that rank, crank up to like 15,000 RPM. Um, these small little engines that just go like nuts. But in the past, they've had like V10s and V8s. So they change so kind of the formula over on, time, on which a, is... Uh, yeah, on a year-to-year basis or a time, time basis, couple, every couple of years or so, they're building completely new cars or engines and everyone has to learn how to do something different and be efficient and still win races and still have good drivers that can do multiple uh formulas as far as driving which is very very cool that's that's like that's actually a, a nice twist imagine if you walked into the you know the nfl season and it was like all right well uh the, you know, it's 200 yards this year for, you know, a touchdown, not 100 yards, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and what, and one thing that you had asked me earlier was, like, what what's keeping you engaged and um, keeping you sticking around? Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's the biggest part of it for me is kind of the engineering side, the engineering challenge. The regulations will change. They will adapt. Um They'll, they'll force teams to become better at one thing or another. So aerodynamics plays a huge part, engine design, um, you know, all these different aspects that go into the engineering side of things. You'll often see teams that come out with a car in the beginning of the year that uh, during preseason testing in the first couple of races, they just don't look good. But by the time you get to halfway through the year, all of a sudden this team is having a little bit of a surge and they're starting to score more points or they're starting to even place on podiums more often where in the beginning of the season they were kind of an afterthought. So um, the first couple races of the year, Ferrari looked dominant and uh, it it was very much uh, a question whether or not Red Bull and their top driver, Max Verstappen, could kind of contest for the title because Ferrari looked that good. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple races in, Ferrari were having some some reliability issues. And now, by the time we get to halfway through the year, Mercedes, who really had a big struggle to start the year, are surging back. And now they're almost tied with Ferrari and they're kind of, you know, if I had to put money on it, I'd say they might even pass Ferrari in the second half of the year. So it's it, it keeps it really interesting because the teams are allowed to kind of introduce certain improvements and engineering developments throughout the year. Um, there's a lot of engineering that goes into it, which is really what keeps me interested. All the aerodynamics, all the, the ins and outs of how these cars work is super intricate. I, I could talk for an hour just on how cool these cars are, like yeah. all the different cool stats like... You know they they generate so much downforce that the 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 famous one that people talk about is if the engine worked a little bit different you could actually drive a formula one car on the roof 
of like you know upside down and it generates so much aerodynamic downforce that it would stick to the roof of whatever it was you could drive it upside down like in a tube um, yeah or like yeah. A, yeah in a tunnel yeah that yeah be, i see what you're saying so that, that that's pretty insane so how take me through how the teams work you can have multiple drivers and is there a limit to how many drivers you can have per team or how does that work because i know you were talking about earlier you know a couple minutes back about how you're you said drivers so is there multiple drivers per team or does one go at a time for a race or does two three i don't yep. know so um so each team has two cars um and usually just two main drivers they all kind of have like a backup driver usually in case someone's sick or gets hurt or something but uh for the most part it's two cars two drivers for each team two main guys anyway um, and the way that the the race kind of works is on typically your, ra- your race schedule is on a Friday. You'll have practice sessions. So each team will go out, get acquainted with the track. They can kind of tweak and tune the cars a little bit to optimize them per track. A little less downforce, a little more downforce, whatever. Um, and then on Saturday, they have a short practice session in the morning and then they do qualifying. So qualifying is where every team goes out. Um, All the drivers go out in the first session of qualifying. And then at the end of that, it's like a 15 minute period. You drop the five slowest times. So you get down to a total of 15 people. Then you have a second qualifying session. You drop the next five slowest and you're down to 10. And then for the third qualifying session, however you place is how you start the race on Sunday. So if you're the fastest in qualifying on Saturday, you get first position on Sunday, and you get an advantage usually um, so in starting the race. Are you driving alone on the track? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, no. I'm sorry. So um, you you can kind of you can kind of strategize on how you want to go out. You're free to go out kind of when you want. Um, you're not alone on the track, but there are different strategies in terms of like, we're going to send him out early to get a good time in, um, or we're going to try and send him out at the last second after kind of everyone else has already gone to be kind of the last one across the line. Um, so there are some different strategies there, but, um, yeah, you basically just get like a 15 minute period where it's like set your best time in this period of time and, you know, the top 10 or 15 or whatever go through. Okay, so once um, you pass the starting line, your your timer starts, and then so you could kind of delay your route or start out early. I, I see what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the main format of a weekend. You have your practice sessions, your qualifying session, and then typically the race is on Sunday, um, and that's for all the marbles, so to speak. Okay. Um, and you have to so, qualify for every event. Uh, an event win does not mean you qualify for the next one, correct? Um, so, so the the like tw- the the ten teams, twenty drivers that are on the grid for each race, um, they're they're like they're in for the season, so to speak. So even if you come last or whatever, or don't have a really good run, or you crash your car or whatever in one race, you're still in the next race. Um, you cost your team a pretty penny. It's not like um, it's not like certain racing uh, championships or events where you have to run a certain time to qualify. It just de- determines your starting position for the race. Okay. So it's it's just an advantage going into that particular race. I see. 
So. Okay, so uh, I do have a, another quick question about the, uh, the passion and the culture of F1. So something I did notice, and obviously, like you said, it was dramatized a little bit in, as far as you know, the Netflix documentaries, depending on what you're watching. But yeah. still, I still think it's a political battle between all these high-end car makers, too, to display and win these events and win for the entire year because it means a lot to even their car sales for, you know, taking a victory lap. Hey, my engine was a high-performing and won F1 racing, so therefore you should go out and buy my high-end car. So it's a lot of... Uh, lots of money involved, lots of, you know, oh, high-end... Yeah high-end clientele watching these races. I mean, obviously hosting one of the events in Monaco every year. Um, these types, I mean, it's one of the wealthiest uh, city countries in, in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So this is like big, you know, and then it kind of coincide with maybe your favorite team, your favorite driver. Um, you know, what is that passion, culture? Your, you know, who, who do you root for? All that kind of stuff. Go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you hit the nail on the head with the money thing. F1, I, I would argue, is kind of overall the wealthiest sport in the world. And the reason I say that is it costs so much money to get into F1. Like, it is probably, and this is a whole different podcast, a whole different discussion, mm. but it's probably the hardest sport to get into at the top tier because... It's very, very difficult to paint a path where your average person can get in on merit. There comes a time in racing leading up to Formula One where you you need to be really good and be sponsored by one of these top teams to have a chance of putting a car together to race in the like circuits that the, the championship series that lead up to Formula One. Or you have to have a lot of money and still be pretty good um, even at the top tier of f1 there are teams that are owned by billionaires whose sons race for those teams because there's you know uh, a lot of um uh kind of um just sort of inherent like my son is good and he's been doing this for a long time and he's earned a seat but like they're they're kind of they're almost paid they, they call them pay drivers so um it's it's very 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 wealthy it's very expensive to put a formula one team together usually the the cost of like running a team per year is in the neighborhood of about 250 million dollars um so you know to put a car together pay people that the top the top team in terms of like infrastructure uh, mercedes just the Formula One organization has almost 2,000 employees, which is a massive, massive company in its own right. And you're right. It's all it's all advertising. It's big dollars. It's uh, putting on a display for, you know, not all of them are car manufacturers, but a lot of them are Mercedes, Ferrari, um, Aston Martin, uh, and Porsche is trying to get into the game at the moment. And over the years, there have been lots of other car manufacturers, Lotus, Renault, um, it's it's big money. It's 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 the big time. It's flashy, um, and it it definitely has that kind of a stigma or association around it. Um, I guess what what the passion is, it's it's the history of racing. Um, you know, people that like racing, generally speaking, 
um, I think will enjoy Formula One. And a lot of the oldest hardcore fans, I'm sure, would enjoy racing in other forms as well. Um, it is definitely the pinnacle. It's it's the fastest in terms of taking a car around a given circuit that you're ever going to find. Uh, there's there's other cars that might be pretty close or even faster in terms of top speed or acceleration. IndyCar comes pretty close over here in the U.S. in terms of the performance of the car. Um, and then there's some cars and, and like circuits and things out there that will be even faster in terms of top speed. But in terms of cornering and aerodynamics and taking that car around the track from A to B as fast as you can, it's it's the pinnacle it's it's as fast as you can possibly go from from start to finish and so i think that's that's what really keeps people uh passionate and engaged about it is is it's that kind of top tier um around the culture of it in the u.s especially formula one is definitely still on the up and up um drive to survive has done a lot for formula one in the u.s a lot um Back in 2017, I think, um, Formula One was acquired by an American company called Liberty Media. And they, I think, were the ones that went to Netflix and kind of had the idea for the series. Um, and they have grown the sport over here significantly. Uh, there used to be one race a year in Austin, Texas at Circuit of the Americas. Mm. Uh, this year they added a race in Miami. And next year they're adding a race in Vegas. So we were we're gonna go from one race in the U.S. to three races in the U.S. in the span of a couple of years here, wow, okay. which is very very significant. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's another. No, I think I think during the COVID year there were three races in Italy just because of the convenience of Italy and all that. But like, there is no other country on the calendar that's gonna host more than two races. So wow, for us to have uh, three, that's the, big. The money that's coming that's coming here and the passion of the new fans coming up through Drive to Survive, it is huge. Um, earlier this year, there was um, Andretti Motorsport, uh, who's big already into IndyCar uh, and I think uh, I think NASCAR as well. I'm not a big NASCAR guy, so I, I hope I'm not getting that wrong. But Andretti Motorsport, famous for uh, their founder Mario Andretti who is actually a Formula One world champion, um, one of the only Americans to ever win the Formula One world championship, uh, the other being Phil Hill, um, way, way back in the, like, I think Phil Hill was in the 50s and Mario Andretti was in the 70s, I think. Um, haven't really had a whole lot of U.S. presence in Formula One historically, but Mario Andretti and his... Um, and his Andretti Motorsport have expressed interest in getting into Formula One. Um, so that's something to look forward to for American fans. I think um, I think in terms of passion, like in you know, my favorite teams and stuff, like you talked about, it's I found it really difficult to be honest. I don't really feel like I have a significant attachment to a particular team. Um, I like Daniel Ricardo as a driver because he's pretty entertaining and he makes a, an impact in the Netflix series. I think he's kind of a fan favorite. He's a funny guy. But um, what I'm really looking forward to is the day that the U.S. really kind of gets back into it a little bit more. We have Haas. Haas F1 is, um, is a current team, which is a U.S.-based team. They're, they don't perform super well. They're, they're doing okay this year. Um, 
but there's no American drivers. Um, and I think that's, uh, a, that's a big thing for me at the moment. Um, however, one thing I, I did want to kind of touch on is, again, what's kind of coming. Um, Williams, who are a, a team on the grid at the moment, uh, they're one of the most kind of historically uh, significant teams in Formula One. They've won lots of world championships in the past. Their founder, Frank Williams, is a legend of the sport. Um, they've had a little bit of a rough go of it the last few years, but they're a driver academy. Um, currently, they have a driver racing in Formula Two, which is a feeder series that is kind of one tier below Formula One. Uh, there's an American driver driving for them by the name of Logan Sargent. And Logan Sargent is, I would say, taking Formula 2 by storm right now. Okay. He is uh, he's a rookie in Formula 2 this year. And by rookie standards, it is not easy. It's not easy to perform. The top Formula 2 driver at the moment has been in the series for three years. And to have a rookie come in and perform in the top half of the standings would be great. He's currently in third. He's won a few races recently. He's on a great run of form. And if the second half of the year goes well for him and he continues to perform like he has been, I mean, he's already making waves, but it is going to be hard to ignore this kid for a few years. Um, he He's going to follow in the line of, I mean, if, if you finish in the top two or three of Formula 2, your name is kind of earmarked for Formula 1. Yeah. Uh, in the especially if you can win Formula Two, I mean, some of the biggest young names in Formula One right now are guys that have won Formula Two recently. So um, he's making a real impact. He's got a good backing. Um, Logan Sargent is someone that I'm kind of putting my eye on, and I'll tell you, he's going to make it to Formula One eventually. And when he does, that's that's, that's my answer to your question is. <laughs> The American. <laughs> he, I would love nothing more than to support an American driver, no matter where he ends up. Um, and I think it's something that's missing from the sport right now. I think the sport realizes that it's missing, which is part of the reason for these kind of new races that are popping up in the U.S. Um, but yeah, man, um, just add a little bit of American kind of support and passion behind it, and this 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 sport's gonna blow up over here. Real yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I feel like if you put an American driver in there, I mean, obviously you can't put him because he has to earn that spot in that role. So winning the F2 would be huge for that. And I think that that it could take another leap, like you said, with adding those additional cities uh, next year. It's going to it's going to be huge because in America, we, you know, a lot of people love race car driving in all forms and formats. So if you get it over here, people are going to come no matter what. Like it's no brainer. You put that in Miami, absolutely. You put that in Vegas, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding. People will travel all across the country just to come see that. Not only just low, you know, normal normal um, uh, people who want to watch a show or just like you're talking celebrity power, all that. People will will ball out and ball up to go to go see these, an event like this, and it, it should be should be pretty cool uh i've learned a lot i hope everyone else has learned a lot in this episode and brian thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and giving us all this inside information i am 
I'm very interested into learning more and continue to watch the series that I'm currently watching, and I'm excited for it. So, Brian, thank you so much for giving us all this inside information on F1 racing and telling me about it. After, like I told you, you're the third person to talk to me about it. So we were like, oh, yeah, I've been getting into F1 racing. So I was like, yeah, man, I got to get someone on here to talk about it. So you came on once. I was like, might as well have him back. So thank you, Brian, for everything you've done and, and come on here talking to me about it. More than happy to. I, I feel like I probably talked too much, but um, but it's it's exciting and I'm passionate about it. It's, uh, it's definitely, I mean... Before I watched the Formula One series on Netflix, uh, I would not even come close to considering myself a racing fan. I, In fact, I almost didn't watch it just because I said to myself, I'm not into racing, so I don't, I, I don't know why I would watch this. But it was very surprising how much I, I took to it, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, I'm sure you got from watching it was it's surprising almost how how entertaining, you know, all those things that you mentioned you want from a sport. Uh, it's all there. That's good. And yeah. yeah. So it, it was great. And uh, it's become a, it's become a nice thing to watch on Saturday, Sunday mornings or whatever. It's nice because they're usually in some other part of the country and you can kind of tune in and finish it up before noontime and go on with your day. So, um, yeah. No, it's been great. Absolutely. So, another reason why I love European soccer, too. Same same. Deal. Yeah. Maybe we'll <laughs> talk about that in another episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I'm going to put this up uh, immediately. Spotify, Apple. Um, head over to the Instagram, and the link will be there. It's also be in the description. Thanks, guys, for listening to the show. Take care.